Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, and here with me is Aaron Keller, and we also have Upland Game Staff Specialist, Sean Espinoza, and then Migratory Bird Staff Specialist, Russell Wollstenholm. Did I get it right? Yeah. <laughs> so, sort of. That was <laughs> close. Sort of. That was real close. I thought about that before coming in here. I was like, I'm going to butcher his last name. But. <laughs> But it's an exciting time of year right now because people can get out and start hunting. That's right. Hunting season's coming up close. Well, hunting season's going for a lot of the big game stuff. Right. We're starting right. to see some pictures roll in. I'm talking about the important stuff. <laughs> right. I'm talking, talking about upland games today. Upland yep. game. So that's why we brought you guys in here to talk about upland game. This is a good time of year for families to get out and hunting. So let's talk about some of the. Um, seasons that are coming up. You know, the the beautiful part about Upland Game, you don't need to draw. Everyone can go. Everyone can participate. And you don't have to get up at 3.30 in the morning. You can pretty much take your time. It's a relaxing hunt. And I like if you that. don't get anything, it's no big deal. And if you shoot a limit, you can go shoot a limit the next day. Right. So you can have a lot of fun with this. Yeah, there's... Anyone can get out and do it, as long as you have your hunting license. Right. So <laughs> September 1st usually marks kind of like the opener of wing shooting or bird hunting in Nevada, and it has for quite a while. But people kind of gear their season around September 1st, right, for you're warming up this in August. And then, like, my dad just texted me said, hey, do you have a spot for September 1st? Like, he's just ready to go, knows that dove season's always September 1st, and plan on... I, when I was a kid, I never attended school on September first. In that, all that explains a lot. In the, in all of my school, never college and everything, never went to school on September first. So I was never perfect attendance. I always had one day, one day absence. That's a good reason. Yep, and it was always September first. It's a good reason to miss. You know, September first, it's going to be the opener for the dove season. We've got right. morning doves and white wing doves, and as well as uh, some of the grouse seasons. Yep, we'll have um, the two blue grouse species, dusky grouse in the eastern portion of the state, and then uh, city grouse in the in pretty much in the Sierras, the western portion of Nevada. And then we also have rough grouse that'll open September first as well in uh, the northeastern portion of the state and uh, in the Santa Rosas as well. So you, you talk about dusky and sooty grouse, and I know there's a lot of people that are going, "What? What is he talking I'm about?" I'm sitting here wondering what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and and both species occur in in Nevada. Uh, they're both considered blue grouse, but there's a little bit of differences in terms of uh, the coloration. Uh, one of the distinguishing characteristics was supposed to be the tail band. Uh, in the eastern portion of the range, dusky grouse have a really narrow and thin tail band. That doesn't appear to be the case here in Nevada. Uh, they both have fairly thick tail bands, so there's not much you can tell just by looking that, at that. Uh, it's really some genetic differences. And what we found uh, over time by looking at uh, some, some feather and blood samples uh, in Nevada is that um, 
really a lot of these blue grouse populations, dusky grouse populations, are really kind of islands unto themselves uh, within a mountain range. And there's not m a lot of interchange of individuals between these mountain ranges, but the populations seem to be uh, fairly robust uh, within those mountain ranges. And in the case of the city grouse, that's certainly connected with uh, populations of, of grouse in California as well, which is a pretty contiguous population all the way into Oregon. So would somebody be wrong to just call them all blue grouse? No. Okay. So like if you say I'm going blue grouse hunting, I think that's like for the most part. In our vernacular, that's acceptable. Okay, yeah. Right on. And then rough grouse. So and anybody that's archery hunting right now has probably seen a bunch of those. Yeah, especially in the northeastern portion of the state. Uh, if you're in the uh, uh, anywhere from the Tuscaroras through Merritt Mountains uh, into the Rubies, uh, you, you're likely to see rough grouse associated with aspen stands. Yeah, big. when I was in the Arc Dome, you know, for a handful of years, archery hunting, tons of rough grouse. It was awesome. Yeah, and um, they can often be mistaken for blue grouse. Uh, the limit is singly or in, or in the aggregate. So if you're taking, uh, if you're out blue grouse hunting and you happen to flush a rough grouse thinking it's a blue grouse, it's just part of your limit. So right. if you shoot one of those, you can sh still shoot two more blue grouse. Nice. And anywhere around Reno, blue grouse, it's they're all, all over. It's all blue grouse. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that can uh, offer, you know, for, for folks living in the western portion of the state, whether you're in Smith Valley Fallon or Reno, um, that offers a pretty close place to get out and, and upland bird hunt, and they make excellent table fare. I, I believe that they're the best eating upland game bird there is. Yeah, a lot of people really? say that, like they just go hunt for the food, right, for, yep. <laughs> for the meat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I kind of fa learned a little bit about blue grouse from shed hunting, because I would be out shed hunting, I would hear them drum and kind of doing that, and then kind of in the weird spots that I would be looking it was kind of seemed like it was in the same area for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and uh, for for sooty grouse in the in the western portion of the state, you know, some of the things that I look for are oftentimes you're going to be in a coniferous forest when you're when you're hunting blue grouse. Uh, some of the other things I look for though are um, like currants. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be looking for berries, uh, seeing if they're ripe, uh, right. finding those shrubs with a lot of berries on them around aspen stands and kind of hunting the perimeter of those aspen stands and oftentimes what you'll find there is is hens with brood still brood members will still be with the hens uh, and then if you get a little bit further onto the ridges in in the uh, in the stands of uh, pine and fir your chances of getting a male there are, are a little bit more increased they kind of tend to be on those ridge tops but um, if you're hunting around an aspen stand with a lot of berries, that's usually a pretty good spot to start out for looking for, for blue grouse. Right. Yeah, those are good tips good for sure. Yeah. What about dove, Russell? Where would you so – what would you suggest? You know, dove are statewide. They're everywhere, um, from in town to the tops of mountains for the, for the morning doves. So really you're just looking for a food source. You know, they like to hang around ag – fields if you're if you're more down in the valleys um, up in the mountains there's food for them everywhere so really the biggest thing that I look for when I'm out in the hills is a water source because that's more limited in Nevada than a food source for does yeah we were joking a little bit before we hit record is that I was saying I wanted to give out some tips on how to how to dove hunt or how to look for 
spots to go dove hunting. And I said, what's the first thing you would do? And Russell said, look for water. And I said, I would look for dove. Look for dove. And that's the, <laughs> and, and that's, the, and that's the best place to hunt doves is where there are some. Yeah, so you've got to find the dove first. But, yeah, around water, around fields, kind of like any sort of agriculture. Right, right. Um, you know, I have found in, in some of the, the remote parts of the state, a lot of places they're conducting fire breaks. And they're going out and they're bulldozing swatches of, of brush and, and things to, cut, to create a fire break. And the doves love those because that just kind of stirs things up. And if, if you know where there's a fire break, where they've been working, it's a great dove hunting spot. Hmm. Just because their ground's disturbed and a lot of A lot, seed, of, a lot of seed bed available and brush out of the way, so it, it makes yeah. it safer. The doves like to be able to see. You know, they're the, the great thing about about being a prey species is you can see 360 degrees around your head so you can <laughs> so you can right. watch for things that want to eat you yeah so you know it's they're they like to bit that open space you, you find doves out where it's open and um what makes this dove so fun for families to go out and hunt like why is that a good well there's a lot of them mm-hmm. um they have they're they're everywhere like i said so you don't have to know these the right spot you know with some of the some of the grouse species you got to be in the right spot on the right mountains. With doves, they're everywhere, and so it makes it a great family thing because you don't have to know a special spot. You just got to find a spot where you see some doves, and then they have a, a really high limit. You can you can harvest 15 a day. It's good to know. And you can have 45 in possession, so you can have three days worth of limits, like at, at home in the fridge waiting waiting. And it takes 15 to make a meal, let's be honest. Right? <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah, you can eat 15 as a are snack. Are doves good to it, eat? They're very good. I've, yeah. Never, yeah. I've never tried it. Doves are really good. You know, they're they're an interesting bird. A lot of a lot of dogs, if you hunt with a dog, don't like to pick them up. They'll pick up the first one and spit it out, and then you can Why never... Why is that? They're, they dust themselves, and so they're, they're a really dusty bird, and so it, it kind of is harsh on a dog. Another now. thing is their feathers fall out really easy. Like once they once you shoot them, their feathers come out really easy. So a dog will pick them up and get a mouthful of feathers, and you know they don't like that. Mm-hmm. So when you're training your dog, it's kind of – I've always heard you don't want to take it, your puppy out for when you're training them for a dove as their first hunt because it kind of – then they think that all birds' feathers come out like dove. Well, yeah. But yeah, another fun thing about dove hunting is you get to shoot a lot. Yeah, if you find the right <laughs> yeah. spot, you can you can shoot a lot. And they're so. tricky too to to hit. So you do need it's like when you're learning how to shoot dove. I mean, you get three to, to, three right, to five right. shots per bird is a pretty good <laughs> average. Yeah. You know, w- we do have a lot of our wildlife management areas in the state plant food plots for the doves to attract the doves. They have millet. They have things like sunflower things that the doves come into, and some of those, y- you can check the the small game hunting guide. Some of those have a reservation process, but others don't. They just have a lot of open fields, and you can go out and, and find a spot to hunt. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of the Nevada way, right? Like, most of it is open to just go, and as long as you do your homework and kind of figure out where you're supposed to be, you can go look for dove. Um, it can be as simple as, like, finding water and then finding somewhere where they're going to be roosting. So, like, a old cottonwood or something that's up in the hills like like i said when i was out shed hunting and stuff i would keep an eye out for those things because i knew that dove would be going to that water and then coming up to roost right and you could be anywhere in between and right and like sean was shoot saying some dove. there's no specific time of day so the cool thing about dove is you can 
pattern them, right? So they go to water and then they come back to roost. So in the morning they're going to water or to feed, and then at night they're coming back up the hill or back up to roost. So right. you can kind of hunt them in two different w- yeah, ways. Exactly. So and if you want to sleep in, you can sleep in. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they help out the process too because they're really noisy. So th- they make a call and it's very distinct. And so a lot of times, hey, hear that? Let's go that direction. So yep. Yeah, being a, I remember like when I was a kid, you know, you just, you kind of watch the trees, you can see them, then you can go towards them. And where there's one, there's usually more than one. So you wait for one to land and you can go over there and then you just wait for another one to kind of come towards you. And, but being a little kid, I mean, it's the best hunt of the year for, right, right. for a kid. And then how does blue grouse hunting compare to dove hunting? Like as far as, are they easy to find? I mean, you guys were saying they're all over the place. More difficult to find. More difficult. For sure. Um, the wing shooting's a little bit easier, although depending on the type of cover you're in, it can be a challenge too. Um, especially rough grouse. Uh, you're in. You're really in the thick of it with rough grouse. You're in an aspen stands and you're sort of combating around. And uh, you almost you hear them before you even see them. And sometimes you never even see them. You just hear them. Uh, so you really working with a dog is is important uh, with rough grouse hunting. Uh, not so much with blue grouse, although um, there are some places in Nevada, particularly in central Nevada, you can work work the ridge tops. And if you've got some good dogs. Uh, they will point them in the tree, um, especially if you get um, on the right side of the ridge and you've got the wind working in the right direction. You can work limber pine stands, and the dogs will point the birds up into it in, in the wow. limber pine. And then you can work in on the birds, and then uh, uh, having a dog to retrieve the birds can be important too because oftentimes, especially in central Nevada, you're in some pretty steep habitat, and a bird can roll quite a ways uh, if you hit it correctly. So. Hmm. Well, good to know. We are actually out of time for the first half of the show, but we will get back into this right after the break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we're here with Sean Espinoza and Russell. I'll let you say your last name. Wolston Hugh. <laughs> okay, that's a, glad we cleared <laughs> that up. And Aaron Keller. And we're talking about all the, the seasons coming up for Upland Game. Um, we were just talking before the break about hunting for blue grouse using dogs. And Keller, you were saying, yeah, you I think actually have any no, I've never, I've never hunted grouse with a dog, and I think it's crazy that they would, I guess that they would point a tree, right? That they would be able to. And so Sean was trying to explain it to me, like basically work the wind, use the ridge top, and then when you're on the ridge, you're at eye level with trees that are below you. Correct. Yeah. So you'll get, especially if hopefully the wind's blowing the right way, and the dog will scent the bird in the tree. Right. Then you can work work in on the bird a little bit more closely. But eventually, you know, if you get under the tree, then it, the dog probably loses that that scent cone and and may start running around trying to pick it up again. But then you're in the neighborhood. At, at least that you point. know you're pretty close. Right. Yeah. Right. And and you know that's depending on the time of the day. But um, uh, blue grouse can be in a tree almost all day 
right. especially depending on what time of the year. If, if you're later in the year, they sort of transition their diet to uh, pine needles. Uh, so they'll be in a tree most of the day. Right. Uh, early in the season, they're on the ground. Uh, first thing in the morning, they're coming out of the, they'll roost in the, in the pine trees or the fir trees. Then they'll get on the ground and start feeding. Uh, and then a dog is pretty effective at that point. Too. Uh, that m- well, that makes more sense because I've only, I've mostly hunted them early season, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I've just basically walked blind into areas I knew there was grouse <laughs> or had seen them before and then had just hiked around with my shotgun until I found them. Did right. it work out for right. you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. K- I've killed a lot of grouse, but... So you it don't was need only a dog, the, but it's very helpful. Like, I always joke that I hunt blue grouse by just walking around until they jump up and scare me to death, and then Right, I and, and, and oftentimes you can use the feathers. Like, if you hit one, you can use the feathers to help find the bird. But it's much easier to have a dog out there because once they hit the ground, oh, they blend in. They blend they're, in. They're exactly the same color as what they live in. Yeah. Does yeah. that make it challenging while hunting them? Well, it's for people that want to, yeah, to want to hunt any sort of bird – Shooting them is sometimes not the hardest thing sometimes with some birds, but then finding them it's very frustrating if you if you lose a bird yeah um and so having a dog definitely is to your advantage because mm-hmm. they can use their nose they can find them a lab when you're duck hunting or dove hunting you know some where they can get in there and find them the, the, the retrieving aspect of the dogs is is really big with birds because you know, nobody wants to, like Aaron said, nobody wants to lose a bird. You, you've worked hard for them. You shot and, it. And, and just the, the ethics of most hunters are that you don't want to waste that exactly. game. So you don't want to lose them. Right. Nice. Yeah, especially with the blue grouse and as good as they taste, especially early season, that first month of I'm going to have to try some season. blue grouse now. You yeah, I, I think. It uh, oh, it's great. Yeah, it's better than chicken. Yeah. Most times when I go blue grouse hunting, they don't end up even into the freezer, so they're right. Yep. Right. Yeah. I just clean them, and then it's that, on the menu. That, that's dinner that night. Yeah. I want to try dove too now. All right. Same with dove. I don't really freeze a lot of dove because uh, you know we have some really good recipes. They're pretty small, so they go pretty fast. But right. the recipes for dove are pretty easy for people to get into and cook and right. barbecue. They make great appetizers for. You know, friends over. You know, I do want to mention with doves that we have we have three species of doves in Nevada that are common. The morning dove, which is uh, throughout the whole state. The white-winged dove, which is mostly down in Clark and Nye County, Lincoln County a little bit. That's mostly where they are. But we also have the Eurasian collared dove. And those those are around mostly around houses, dwellings. Mm-hmm. They're an introduced species, not native to this country. And there is no season on those meaning they're unprotected and that they can be shot any time of year oh, really? in, in any quantity. Right. I uh, I had a buddy ask me last weekend, actually, if, if there was a regulation that went through for Eurasians. And I said, I don't think so. I think there, right. there was some talk about it a little, you know, a few years ago. but And that's why I brought it up because we get that question a lot from hunters. Hey, do these count in my limit? When can I hunt these? And, and they're they're open for, for year-round harvest in any quantity. So maybe explain a little bit about the differences. So the so how, pe- how people can target yeah. them or like. So um, they have a different call, which 
I cannot mimic, so that's something. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you something were that you would though. It's almost <laughs> it's almost like a mechanical sound. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, weird. it's something that you can go online and easily play some videos, and you can hear the difference. But the Eurasians are a larger dove than a morning dove, and a really big thing is they're they're almost a a pale white to almost white color, whereas the the morning doves are a, a real gray, darker gray color. And then the Eurasians have a dark black stripe around the back half of their neck. And so, um, you know, and, and it is important to know the species if you're going to shoot them outside of the of the established morning mm-hmm. dove season so you don't get the wrong thing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely but do your homework. Yeah, but a little bit of looking. You can you can determine it fairly quickly if you a little bit a little bit of study of what they look like and what they sound like. Yeah, for when I was trying to explain it, I I said that they were bigger than a morning dove, but smaller than a pigeon. Right. They're kind of like in between, you know, they, like when you see them, you're like, geez, that's a big right, right. But, dove. But a lot of times, you know, size is, becomes relative. If you don't have two of them side by side, a lot of times. Well, and if you haven't seen a bunch. Right, too, right. Yeah. You know, it can be relative. So, but, but there are ways to tell them apart, but it, it takes a little bit. It's like identifying any species. It takes a little bit of work on your part to make sure that that you familiarize yourself and know what you're looking at. And although they're unprotected in Nevada, that doesn't mean that they might not be protected in other states. I think That's Arizona. That's right. a good point. Right. Other states do have seasons for them. They include them in their in their regular hunting season the same dates, huh. l- largely to to protect the morning doves and the white-winged doves from accidental harvest. Right. But in Nevada, we still have them as an unprotected. So we want people to target them, though, because they're invasive. Right. They're invasive. They're you know, there there's a handful of birds that are not protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and the Eurasian colored doves, starlings, house sparrows, and and the common pigeon, rock doves. Are, there's a formal name, but the, the common pigeon are all unprotected species. And what do Eurasians do? They differ in taste or table fare. Are they yep. the same as rec- morning dove? You know, I've never actually had one to eat yet but i've been told that they're very similar that there's not much difference other than just a little bit larger breasts on a because they eat the same thing right 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 so i'd imagine they probably taste we'll have to have a taste test we do we keep talking about all these right. birds and how they taste so we need a taste test. that's our goal We're gonna <laughs> we always yeah we, we just try and talk and talk everything <laughs> up to where everybody just gets hungry <laughs> I think I don't hunt, so I'm like, oh, what could I relate to? Food. Well, it's time to change that, actually. Yeah. It's, it's time to get Well, your... you guys are making me want to get out there. It's, time it's actually a very it easy sounds, step. The, especially with the, the dove hunting sounds sounds fun. Yep. Yeah, I got so. a buddy that's big time, big game hunter. And uh, I said, hey, it's, you know, it's almost dove hunting September 1st. And he's like, well, what do I need? I go, nothing. Just you already have your hunting license. You can borrow one of my shotguns, and we'll go out and we'll shoot some dove. He's like, "Oh, that sounds great!" So we got it scheduled. We're gonna go out and shoot some dove, and uh, but it's super easy for people that want to get into the sport. Of right, right. You know, and, and new this year. Speaking of licenses, is the fact that the state of Nevada has done away with our upland bird stamp. Yes. And our waterfowl stamps, and so there's no stamp needed. All you need is a license, and and you're ready to go really easy you do need i do need to mention that for morning dove and white wing dove you need a hip number and you can get that through through the yeah so go to endowlicensing.com and then on your my account page it'll be on the left hand side and it'll be under surveys and all you do is click on that and you could fill out the question right which is 
so that's a little misleading because it's not a survey you're doing. You're, sign, right. you're signing up. There's a few questions that you answer to get your hip number, and then you may be selected to actually do a full hip survey later in the year depending on your harvest rates. And right. you said that's for morning dove and what else that you need the hip for number for? On, on the, well, you need it for waterfowl, but, okay. but for these early se wing seasons, all you need it for right now is the morning and white wing doves. And then we often get questions about whether or not non-toxic shot is required for morning dove and whether or not a federal migratory bird stamp is required for morning dove. So, Right. So, <coughs> excuse me, you do, not, you do not need the federal migratory bird stamp for, for doves. And you, the non-toxic shot, you have to have that if you're hunting um, any migratory species, especially if you're hunting on wildlife management areas. Right, and a lot of people should look at those wildlife managers. They're kind of like looking for an area to hunt. Usually those are around agriculture, sunflowers. There's lots of, like, attractants there at wildlife managers for sure. Right, correct. So, But if you're on those, you got to use non-toxic. And really you don't see that much of a difference as far as, like, shooting lead and the non-toxic stuff when you're looking at, like, a dove load. I mean, I don't anyway. Right. Yeah, steel's usually a little bit faster, which might be a good thing for doves. For doves. They're, they are a fast-moving bird, so a little bit faster shot actually is a benefit. I love hunting doves. They're so much fun to go after, and it's early season, nice and warm. Right, right. You, you haven't, it's perfect. Unless you, were, unless you were lucky enough to draw you know, an archery tag, and maybe you've been on earlier, it's usually the first thing you can hunt, first thing in the year, and you've been mm -hmm. you've been without that, you know, that fix for a few months. Right. So, <laughs> so it's great. It's just to get so out much there. fun. Yeah. Like I I plan on it every year. And uh last year or two years ago I had a uh archery tag and we were in an area looking around for deer and there was dove everywhere. So the next trip out I actually brought my shotgun and I, I killed my buck and then stayed an extra two days and because the dove hunting was so good. Right. So, so moral of the story buy your hunting license on endowlicensing.com yep. get out there and hunt and then after have a barbecue with friends and family yeah it's perfect it's perfect Excellent. for this time of year so we only have ooh, not too much time left but is there anything else you want to get out there any other seasons you guys want to talk about uh the last thing i would mention is uh, himalayan snowcock and uh, nevada is and remains the only state uh, in the U.S., uh, the only place in North America where the species exists. So if you're an adventurous body and want to hunt the uh, the mountain goat of the bird world, uh, head to the Ruby Mountains or the East Humboldt Range uh, near Elko and uh, get on a trail and get to the top of the mountain and uh, listen for a snowcock whistle. Uh, it kind of sounds like an elk, uh, kind of mistaken uh, that sound for an elk before. And uh, and get out and try and experience a, a pretty extreme upland bird hunt. Um, definitely worth it. They're a, they're a beautiful bird, and seeing those birds in the wild is pretty. Just seeing them in and of mm. itself is pretty awe striking. But being able to to actually harvest one and take one uh, would would be a pretty neat experience. So for sure, definitely. You know, if you want to get uh, you know some older age kids age kids out and, and do something a little bit more extreme, that certainly might be something up your alley. Another challenging hunt is American Crow, which also starts September 1st. Um, it's not as strenuous as, as, <laughs> as going, going after the snowcock, but, but they're a very, very smart bird, and so it's, it's a very challenging hunt, but there's people who like to go out and do it. 
Well, we appreciate both of you being here. A lot of good information, and you can get more information on Endow's Facebook, our Instagram, and check out our SoundCloud for more podcasts. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.